slavery and masters, which is the text for us. And if we do that, that's a very difficult topic, especially in our history uh, in the States. The context. Verse 21. Submitting yourself to one another in the fear of the Lord. Verse 18. Do this only in the power of the Spirit. And there's a context here of submission. Wives submit to husbands, particularly in respect and their leadership, spiritual. Husbands submit to Christ, particularly in loving his wife, serving her. Children submitting to parents. And then finally, slaves submitting to masters and masters submitting to Christ. Now, we're going to dig into this more soon, but this is not an argument for slavery. We need to just say that. This is not an argument for slavery in this text, but it's an instruction for Christians who are bondservants how to act in the Roman world. And then on the flip side, for those who are in a type of authority, are the Roman masters, how to treat them. And you might be thinking, okay, well, I am no master, and I'm not a slave or bond servant, and that's true. But do you have anyone under your authority? You probably do. Anyone that you lead, maybe someone that takes direction from you, and if so, how do you lead them? Do you use biblical methods or unbiblical methods? Well, this is what Paul teaches and applies to us in particular here today. So let's look at Ephesians 6, 9 today, the role of masters. Then we're going to come back to bondservants and slaves uh, and pick up that in the next week or two. First time. Well, let me, let me just back up a little bit. Start with verse 5 and we'll read now. Slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of high service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Masters, this is what we'll pick up this morning, verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray for it.
stir our hearts. We want people to see your justice and your mercy in how we lead in the authority that you've given us. Father, speak to us today by your word and through your spirit. Pray in Jesus' name. You know, sometimes as Christians we can make a, a false distinction between our relationship with God and our relationship with work. And so maybe we say things like, look, this is business, which I've had said to me many times. And what that implies is if it's business, it has nothing to do with the church or my faith. These two are separate compartments. I had a friend, we'll call him Derek, and he was a very faithful church goer. He, he was converted radically in his early 20s, and God did a great work, and he was also a businessman, and he worked hard at his business. At one of our elders' meetings, he was nominated by the congregation to be a potential elder, and someone said, well, he's not qualified. And they said, well, his reputation in the community, don't, don't you know his reputation? And then he began to tell me Derek's story. He said, first he owned a, a small business, Rusty, maybe you know the story. He, he and his best friend went in on this business, and I won't say what they did. I'll, I'll, I'll say something they didn't do. We'll say he made whips. <laughs> he made whips. Nobody makes whips anymore. So he was a whip maker, he and his best friend. And he saw... Because his best friend ran the factory and he was out in the field selling those whips to farmers and such. And so uh, he saw the market for whips was really nosedive. And so he went to his best friend and he said, hey, I'm, I'm getting out. You can either buy my half or I'm going to sell it to someone else. And he put the squeeze on his partner. And his partner went and took a massive loan out. And within two years that business was bankrupt and he made all the white banking. From that, he started a real estate business, and he undercut all the realtors in town. If they were only 6%, he was going to say, hey, I'll do it for 3%, right? And that failed, and so then he went to another man in our church, very sweet man, and said, look, you know about cars. Let's start a car business, and, and I'll put up all the money. You don't have to put up any of the money. Within six months, they were bankrupt. And Derek threatened this man with lawsuits until he was mortgaged, took out a second mortgage on his home to put up the money he needed. You see, there was a pattern with Derek that his goal was solely bottom line, driven only by self-interest, and he would employ any method necessary to achieve his financial goals, always saying, it's just business. It's not my faith. As if there's a distinction. Friends, those with authority, whatever authority that you might have, must consider carefully how they rule and lead. And the truth is, God is concerned, deeply concerned, not just with what we do, but how you do it. How you coach, how you lead your classroom, how you share with people, how you lead your employees. Now maybe you have never had a biblical model for leading other people. And I would like to ask you, are, are your methods of leading 
Are they biblical? The, the way you lead people, do, does it reflect the glory of God? Do people see the glory of the justice and the mercy of God in how you lead? Unbiblical approaches to leadership are everywhere. Books, magazines, or, or maybe what you've seen growing up in your own home. And often our methods of leading are based solely on, I'm not saying there's not some really good things in that material. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But often our methods of leading are based solely upon self-interest, accomplishing goals, and methods that produce a bottom line. And there's nothing wrong with objectives and goals, right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing unbiblical about that. But biblically, our methods are as important as our objectives. Please hear that. Biblically, your methods and how you treat people are as important as what you're trying to accomplish. God is concerned in how you lead people. Now, that's Ephesians 6. Paul tells masters here, those with authority over others to not threaten those under them. And in Colossians, he says to masters, treat them justly and in fairness. Why? Because if you are a Christian, you are also under a master. And this is how he directs you to lead. Living out the gospel in your leadership as you achieve your bottom line. So here's our main idea today is, is real simple. That we must not lead with threats, but justice. Lead with justice. Now, lead without threatening. Look at verse 6 with me in your Bibles, please. Notice what he says. Verse 9. That's in chapter, sorry, chapter 6, verse 9. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening. Notice those words. Masters do the same to them. So there's a duty here, right? In those days, masters were granted great freedom to treat their slaves how they wanted. They could be cruel, they could be kind. And so in the Roman world, you have household servants who were often treated incredibly kindly. They were part of the family, sometimes even if there were no children inheriting from the family. And then you also had the servants in the fields who were literally chained and beaten in the Roman world. Now, in our day, we have a set of laws, but within those laws, we too have lots of freedom. How we treat and interact with those who are in subordination to us, you might say, or under our authority, our leadership, in one way or the other. And so notice what he says there. Stop and threaten. Threaten every kind of insult from those with authority, domineering, fierce appearance, threatening some evil. The ultimate end is threatening to break somebody's will and bring them in submission to what you want to accomplish. And biblically, it's, it's like a horse that you want to motivate, and so you take the whip to it. Every time the horse sees the whip, that's the reason whip was in my mind. You see, I'm making a connection. Immediately it responds because of fear of punishment, right? It, it breaks his spirit in threats. Threatening is leading by appealing to a person's fear. Leading by fear. And you say, well, fear of what? Well, maybe punishment. 
punishment, maybe demotion, right? Um, being made redundant, moved to a bad shift, right? In, in relationships, not being loved anymore or outcast in coaching, put it on the bench or maybe off the team. So there's that first idea of threatening, but the threatening can even be more than that. It can, it can be threatening with shame. And we see this. That mistakes are made public in an effort to embarrass so the person again responds in fear by exposing their problems or their failings, thus bringing them in line with your will. Now, and Paul says don't do that. And instead of threatening, Paul tells leaders how to lead, particularly in Colossians 4.1, which is a sister verse. Listen to what Colossians 4.1 says. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Justly. It's a similar idea to righteousness. Treat them in such a way that no fault or charge can be brought against you. Treating them according to God's will. Fair means being equitable or fair with them, not taking advantage of them. If you've agreed to a wage or an increase in wage, you give it to them without being asked. If you've agreed to giving them a vacation or a holiday, then you give it to them with joy and freedom. And so Paul is saying simply this. If you have authority over others, examine your methods of leading. And the method of leading is as important as your objective or your goals that you're trying to achieve. God is concerned not just with what you do, but how you do it. So don't fret, but to show Christ by leading with justice and fairness. It, it's Deuteronomy 32.4. Listen to this. I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A just boss, a just leader, a just coach, a just teacher glorifies a just God. And that's, that's just it. You are under a master too. You are in submission to him. So if you have given your life to Christ, you're subject to His will. His will trumps your objectives, even your business objectives. And your will, in many ways, must be brought in line with His will. You are under authority. And the good thing is, it's a good authority. He wants you to treat people justly and fairly, Deuteronomy 34, so that they see that there is a just and fair heavenly God that you serve and you follow. Ted Tripp tells the story that he was in the airport when there was a, a, a mother and a beautiful little girl. She was dressed for nine. The mother was as well. They were obviously had a lot of money and well taken care of. And they, they came into the airport together. And the little girl was spoiled rotten. And she began to have a fit in the airport because she did not get her way. The mother sat there for a few minutes as this went on, and it got louder and louder. And then the woman broke, and she started threatening. She said this, I am sick of you. I hate you. Get away from me. Find someone else to yell at. I don't want 
stand you get out of my sight. And with that, the mother moved seats to the next row over seats in the airport. The little girl came over and said, Mommy, I'm sorry. I, I love you, Mommy. And the mommy said, Go away. I don't know you. In fact, go away from me. I hate you. You know, the mom had learned a method of threatening and leading to get the girl's behavior manipulated to where she would stop embarrassing her publicly. She used threat, threat of punishment and shame. Unless you obey, threat, I won't love you, I won't be your mommy, I will leave you. Paul said, Rusty, are you saying I can never have consequences, but just have a smile when things go really badly in my classroom or when I'm, I'm coaching and things go poorly? Last thing, threatening versus consequences. There's nothing wrong with consequences. Okay, the Bible's full of for bad work, poor action, production, sinful behavior. But there's a difference. The difference is threatening. There's no gospel in it. It's not gospel-centered. It's just punitive. The law gives punitive with only punishment and no grace. That's threatening. Threatening only motivates with fear of punishment, not correcting. It, it teaches nothing. It, it addresses nothing about that person's heart or character or flaws and ultimately does not lead someone to their need of grace and forgiveness but of frustration and anger and fear. So instead of threatening Christ-centered leadership it embraces encouragement, correction, rebuke, instruction, warning, teaching, and then praying for someone. There's a big difference. Lastly, let's finish with this. Paul has addressed how to honor Christ in all of these relationships that the Roman person was in, in home generally, by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he again and again and again says, because you love him, because you love Christ. And remember his original command. Be filled with the Spirit, which means go on being filled with the Spirit, walking in the power of the Spirit. He doesn't just tell you what to do, which is very hard. He gives now the grace and the ability to do it by reminding you to do this, to be a leader in such a way, not threatening, but showing the justice and the love and the mercy and the fairness of God. It takes being filled with the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but personally, my heart is most filled with the Spirit when I am engaging God in worship, private and corporate on a regular basis. Father, we thank you so much that you are not a cruel master. And many of us are in positions of leadership, positions of authority. 
We have those that work under us, students that sit under us, young men and women that play sports under us. And we want them to see your glory in how we lead. So, Father, I would, I would like for you, I'm asking your Holy Spirit to convict us if we are men and women who are threatening to others, who want to conform their behavior at all costs, if we're people that feel like our bottom line is reason and trumps any call for justice and mercy, and the bottom line, Lord, is what motivates us above all else is an idol of our life. Lord, we want to be men and women who are gracious, filled with the Spirit, merciful, and those around us see it. I pray this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, if you will. We're going to close the song. Just a note, reminder there, the believer is under the authority of Jesus. He's our king. He's our master. Psalm 35, 27, we're about to sing, let those who delight in his righteousness shout for joy and be glad. It talks about our master. It says this, he delights in the care of his servant, or some say in the welfare of his servant. He's a good king. Let's sing Psalm 35, 27. Savior Christ.